Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So, uh, today I'm going to be talking about the pilgrims. And we're going to be talking about them, about their faith, um, maybe some things you know, maybe some things you didn't know, and, and three different ways that they applied scripture um, during um, the voyage of the Mayflower and landing in Plymouth in their first year uh, in Plymouth. And I, I like talking about this because I, I come from that area. I come from um, southeastern Massachusetts. I grew up first in Hanson, which wasn't far away from uh, Plymouth at all, maybe half hour. And then I grew up in Duxbury, which is two towns over, and my mom and stepdad still live there. And I still have many other family members who live all surrounding in that area, including in Plymouth. And my brother Jim, a couple of years ago, he said, you know, I'm going to check out our ancestry. And I said, go ahead, Jim, knock yourself out. And I hope that there's nobody like a criminal. I was afraid of that. I thought he'd find nothing. Uh, it turns out that my grandmother's mother, that's part of the family. If you go far enough back, you get to the Mayflower. So uh, it, it turns out we're related to guy named Isaac Alderton, Miles Standish, John Alden, Priscilla Alden. And I thought that was great. I felt like kind of a party crasher because um, I never thought that we were the types that would be related to people who came on the Mayflower. But it turns out there are a lot of people all around the country who are. Uh, I, I am tickled that I, I grew up in Duxbury, which was founded by Miles Standish and John Alden. And it turns out that we're related to them. So that was pretty cool. But we learned things early on about the, the pilgrims and about the Mayflower. Uh, like they didn't land at Plymouth Rock. They didn't land at Plymouth, actually, at first. They actually landed in Provincetown, which is on the tip of Cape Cod. And then they went up the Cape nor in a northerly direction until they got to the first harbor that was big enough for the Mayflower, and that would have been Plymouth. And that's how they ended up in Plymouth. And other things are like, they, they, we imagine that the pilgrims wore black and, and white, right? They didn't. They wore a lot of colors. Um, the, the black and white thing, that came later. There were people who dressed that way, but they, they weren't these people. And... Um, the, the people of that area, there was the separatists who are the pilgrims and then the Puritans, who I'll get to, uh, was a, uh, were a wide group of people, particularly the Puritans. But it's not really going to be a history lesson. It's really going to be about how they applied their faith. You see, the, if we were going to pick a group of Christians to most identify with, we would have a hard time because... Um, the way Christianity was practiced back then, it was Christianity, certainly. It was the gospel, 
Um, but in some parts of the world, there, by this point, there was so much a tradition and so much ritual. And in a lot of the Christian world, people couldn't read the Bible for themselves. They did not hear scripture being proclaimed on a regular basis. They'd get a little bit here, maybe a little bit there. But they would mainly learn ritual. They'd learn catechism. Um, they'd learn the rules. And this was the world that the pilgrims were in, where they desired to meet and talk about Scripture, to have it proclaimed to them, um, for those who could afford it and who could read, to actually have a Bible of their own, which was a very, very new thing and, and still controversial in that part. Can you imagine have it, owning a Bible in your own language being a controversial thing? But it was. Uh, I think by the time we get to the late 1500s into the early 1600s, uh, you wouldn't get arrested for it anymore, but it was still uh, uncommon. And as you can see here, you don't see a lot of black and white, do you? Right? It, it's a representation of some of the colors that they had, um, I don't have a lot of pictures. I just I'm throwing a few of them up. Uh, the Christian, uh, the pilgrims were um, in England, and in England you had the Church of England. The reason why you had the Church of England and not the Roman Catholic Church was not because of doctrine, and, and it wasn't because they objected to ritual or to the authority of the Pope. The Church of England was the Church of England because King Henry VIII wanted to divorce his first queen. That's it. That's the reason why. Now, God did use that situation to break the Church of England off from the Roman Catholic Church, and it did evolve slowly over time. It was not fast enough for the pilgrims. Um, the pilgrims were also called separatists. And then you have Puritans. And how do they relate to the Church of England? Well, the pilgrims were separatists who desired to separate from the Church of England and to worship God in a more biblical way. Okay, that's the, the short of it. The Puritans desired to reform or to purify the Church of England for the same goal, to worship God in a more biblical way, in a more authentic way. And this did include um, having the um, scripture proclaimed during church meetings. It also included singing psalms out of the Bible, which was uh, their hymnal. And there were songs starting to be written, but many of the songs that they, they sang were still psalms. The problem was, like in most of Europe, the state church, whether it be Roman Catholic or Lutheran or Calvinist or the Church of England, it was many times the only game in town and you weren't allowed to meet separately. It was illegal. Can you imagine that? We live in a, in a society where if somebody doesn't like this church, they can drive this way, maybe find a church, and that way, and find a church. 
there are churches all around the area, and you can usually match a church up to really what you're looking for. Back then, you had the Church of England, the Church of England, or the Church of England if you were in England. And if you tried to meet separately, you could get arrested. You could go to jail. Okay? That's the kind of environment that was there. We can't imagine what that's like because we have religious freedom in our country, not just within Christian denominations, but we freely allow other religions to be here. That's why I, in South Brunswick, I live near half a mile from a mosque. I'm three miles away from a Hindu temple. Uh, on Route 27, probably about four miles away from my home, and it's on, not on my side of town, South Brunswick, it's on the other side of town, which would be Franklin Township. Um, there's a 30-foot tall Buddha, okay? And I wasn't sure if it was Buddhist or not, but Google Maps helped me and said, the Buddhist center, so it must be Buddhist. There's even in, uh, in, in uh, Franklin Township a Jain temple. How many people know what Jainism is? Okay, that's good. Only a few people, right, but it is a religion that comes from India, it has over 200 million adherents. So we have all of this freedom here that we're used to. They did not have that freedom. And it was a problem. Now, the pilgrims did not usually refer to themselves as separatists, only when they were talking in reference to the Church of England. They called themselves saints. And if you weren't a saint, well, everybody else was a stranger, whether they were Devout Christians, nominally Christian, not Christian at all. So saints are the separatists, the strangers are people who are not separatists. It's going to come up. In 1608, an entire community of separatists who lived in a town called Scrooby, it was really more a city, they left and went to Leiden, Holland, so that they could worship freely. It took them two attempts the first time they got caught. They got caught trying to leave the country so that they could worship freely. And, and, and the people, the uh, magistrates who caught them knew what they were doing, knew that they were religious dissenters who were leaving uh, and trying to go to Holland to escape. And they finally did. And they were able to worship freely, but there was a some problems, and that caused some motivation to come to America. But also, uh, one of the motivations was a biblical one. Lack of economic opportunity in Leiden. If you were not Dutch, you had a problem. Let's say I was a Mason in Scrooby in England, and I come to Holland and I want to be a mason, it's not going to work out so well. The problem is you've got to join a guild. And the guild's got to let you join, and they're not just going to let people come in who come in from another country just up and join their guild and take jobs away from the Dutch. So the people who came over, they did the most menial of jobs. Some of them just worked from home. They were spinning cloth, and they were working long hours at home, and they were poor. At the same time, that permissive environment that allowed for 
um, freedom of religion, allowed for freedom of other things. And they were concerned because their children, who were speaking Dutch as much as they were speaking English, um, had um, temptations that didn't exist in England. Um, alcohol. Um, the, the, they were living among people who were all strangers, not just strangers in the religious sense, but they were strangers in a cultural sense. And their children were becoming like them, and that was a problem. So what do you do? Do you try to pick up and move to another country where you might have the same problem? Where are they going to go? Maybe Germany, maybe parts of Switzerland. Would they have the same problem there? And they'd have to learn another new language? By the way, in Germany at this time, there's not a one Germany. Germany is all of these small kingdoms and duchies all over the place. So it was kind of confusing. Would they try that? Well, what about the New World? People were starting to go to the New World. It was a thing where, where people were starting to emigrate over there. They were just barely starting. And there was one thing in addition to economic freedom and in addition to religious freedom that attracted them. And, and I wanted to make sure that this was true because I wasn't sure that it was. I, I'd read it secondhand, but I wanted to get some firsthand information to make sure that this was really one of the motivations that they had to come over. And that is um, the, the Great Commission. Okay, and this, I'm going to read this, but I'm going to kind of clean it up as I read it because this is William Bradford. He was the first governor of Plymouth. Well, he was the first governor who got to serve because the first governor was a guy with the last name of Carver who died before he could really be governor. So William Bradford was the one who was the first long-term governor of Plymouth. And he writes, uh, lastly, and which is not least, a great hope and inward zeal they had, that is the pilgrims, of laying some good foundation or at least make some way thereunto for propagating and advancing the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in those remote parts of the world. Yea, though they should be put even as stepping stones unto others for the performing of so great a work. And for the, anybody who might be listening, uh, instead of the word the, T-H-E, there's the word ye, Y-E, and I would just kind of skip over that. But yes, they thought that they could begin at least um, sharing the gospel with the people who lived there, even if they just got the ball rolling and other people came over and picked up with it. So that was a motivation that they had. So the first way that the pilgrims applied scriptures to real-life situations was in a decision of where to go, stay in Holland, go to somewhere else in England, go to America. Well, America, you got the first two, economic, religious freedom, plus they had the opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission and fulfill it in a way that would be really meaningful to them. Now, um, one thing you should know about them, I think that will help you make sense, is they were post-millennial. They believed that the Christians on this earth were to be used by God to make everybody else, to spread the gospel so that everybody on earth is a Christian. And then when that happens, Jesus is going to come. And so they thought they would start sort of a, begin a new Jerusalem 
as it were, and this would begin um, this evangelism all around the world, and um, Jesus would come. It didn't work out like that. But that was their intention. And you know what? God used it. The Virginia Company was one of the companies that had been set up by the royal family to fund people who wanted to go into the new world. And this is important because if I wanted to go to the new world, well, like, what am I going to do? Save my money? Well, a lot of people couldn't do that. They couldn't put aside that kind of cash to make a trip to the new world because you're paying for your boat, you're paying for your supplies, your tools, anything you might need over there. All of that costs money. So what the Virginia Company did, and some other companies like it, is they would front the money for the trip. The people would go, they'd get to the new world, they'd start to grow something that had value, like tobacco or, or uh, corn, something that they could send back. And then they would uh, maybe cut trees or, or trap fur, the kind of things that have value, and they would pay back over a five, seven, ten-year period, the debt, and then the people would be really free to live as they wished. And that's what the, the pilgrims did. They made an arrangement with the Virginia Company to go to northern Virginia. And they did it on two ships. One was the Mayflower, the other was the Speedwell. The Speedwell had to turn around because, well, it didn't speed well. It, it sprung a leak. And so some of the people got onto the Mayflower. And it was cramped. It was 102 passengers. Now, in Plymouth, Massachusetts, there is the Mayflower II, which is a replica. If you ever go to Plymouth, and I'm not saying you need to, but if you're there, you need to go to Plymouth Plantation and you need to be, go on to the Mayflower II to really see what they came across in and then ask yourself, could 102 people fit in that boat? They could, but it was really with great difficulty, and they were under the, uh, not on top, they were down for six, six to eight weeks. They left in August, and they arrived around in November. The problem was, they didn't end up in northern Virginia, and this is where the second way they applied scripture, that's two out of three, has to do with the Mayflower Compact. Anybody heard of it? It was a document that they came up with for self-government. Some people think it's a forerunner to the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. Me, not so much. It was a way to govern themselves, but it was important in a way that I'll explain. The voyage was supposed to go to Northern Virginia. The Mayflower landed in first Cape Cod, ended up in Plymouth. That wasn't part of the area that was part of the contract. The Mayflower couldn't sail south because it wasn't seaworthy by the time it, it just barely made it to Plymouth. Some of the people were not pilgrims. They were people who came along because they were adventurers. They wanted to start new. And, and they decided, you know what? The terms of the contract are off. When we, when we land, we're going to do whatever we want. And that's a problem because it was going to be very difficult. If you didn't have everybody pulling in the same direction, maybe people would start dying more than they ended up dying. So 
because of the strangers saying that they landed in the wrong place and the contract no longer applied and they wanted to do what they want, the pilgrims had a choice to make their leaders. They could either pull aside Miles Standish, who had the guns, and say, you know what, you're going to do what we want because we have Miles Standish and he has guns. Or, I suppose you could say, well, you know what, you may want to do that, but God's on our side. We are on a spiritual quest, and you're not going to mess it up with us. Or you could say, well, you've got rights, but we have more rights. There's more of us, therefore, you're going to do what we want. And they could argue about it. They didn't do any of that. They came to an agreement on how they would govern themselves until there were more people who came over who could provide a stable government. This could have been chaos, and it wasn't. It wasn't because um, they came to an agreement, the Mayflower Compact, and they had Scripture in mind. Remember, these were people that listened to Scripture, expounded Scripture, read Scripture, I picked one just as, as a representative one. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And in this case, that meant coming to an agreement on how to govern themselves in this new situation that they were in. Okay? So that's two. Three has to do with the first Thanksgiving which was really 1623, not 1621. It wasn't after the first year. They had a harvest celebration, but it was private. They didn't have a big public event. There was no proclamation to come out for that event. Um, and the first year was hard. 102 people came over and they settled. Out of those people, 52 died the first year, and that's between November and March, 52. And that might be wrong, because I think a couple died on the boat before you got there, but they didn't die quickly either. They died of um, nutritional illnesses like scurvy, or they died of um, pneumonia. Because when they came over, they had to slap together whatever shelters they could slap together. And then um, there wasn't much shelter, and it was a hard winter. Winters are pretty bad in Massachusetts compared to here anyway. They are now like we would be in late December in Massachusetts, in southeastern Massachusetts. They didn't get a lot of snow there. I mean, I, I grew up there. There was not a lot of snow, but there was that year. At one point, there were only two people taking care of everybody else because they were the only two people who weren't ill. So imagine that. Imagine, um, imagine that only three married couples survived this of the people that were left over. Three married couples. means that most of the married couples that came over lost one spouse. Some both died and the children were orphans. Sometimes maybe one or two of the parents lived, the children died. Can you imagine how terrible that was? And that was after the first year. And they made it, and then they had a harvest celebration. But that had to be difficult. It had to be disheartening. Um, then, after 1621, they had 45 new arrivals. The boat called the Fortune comes over, and they have 45 people. And the people, did they have food? No. 
Did they have a lot of stuff? No. How are they going to feed those people? They weren't prepared. They were growing crops, but there was a drought. So that was in peril. They were expecting a supply ship to come with provisions. It had not arrived yet. And it's, they had no idea when it would arrive or if it would arrive. What do you do? The people of Plymouth, they prayed. That's what they did. Now I'm going through Exodus, and I just got up to the part where they crossed the Red Sea, and there's going to be a pattern with the children of Israel when they run into a problem, not even a problem that's really happening to them, but a problem that they see on the horizon, like they saw the Red Sea and they saw the, the chariots and, and they panicked. The chariots hadn't arrived yet, but they panicked and they said to Moses, how come you brought us here to die? They didn't go to Moses. Moses, we need to pray to God right now to save us the God who did all of those mighty works before. He needs to save us now. That's not what they said. The pilgrims, though, did. They prayed. William Bradford said, and he was the governor, they set apart a solemn day of humiliation to seek the Lord by humble and fervent prayer in great distress, and he was pleased to give them a gracious and speedy answer, both to their own and to the Indians' admiration that lived amongst them. So they prayed, it started raining, and it was a witness to them, and it was also a witness to the Native Americans that lived around them. And then when they had their crops, and they had the harvest celebration, that's when they did call everyone together, and um, another person who lived there, a notable um, passenger on the Mayflower, Edward Winslow, said, and therefore another solemn day was set apart and appointed for that end, wherein we return glory and honor and praise and all thankfulness to our good God, which dealt so graciously with us. Our good God, which dealt so graciously with us. And there were so many of these people that not that long ago had lost spouses, children, They had scriptures like this in mind, Romans 8.28. And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Let me read that again. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I myself... I'm not a person who's had a lot of tragedy. I have had some things go wrong in my life, but not the great tragedy that I know that other people have, um, have had. And I have a fairly large and extended family. I come from a blended family, um, and so I had to actually draw sort of an org chart for my wife uh, when we were dating and she was meeting my family but a lot of them are still with us. I haven't lost a lot of people. I haven't lost any parents, any step-parents. So when I read something like this, back in my mind, it's like, I believe it, and Lord, help me, help me to believe it when I really need to apply it. Because they did. They applied it after great tragedy, and they didn't lose heart. I... I when I think about it, I try to imagine what it would be like if I lost my wife, if I lost 
um, children, and then I'm, I'm, I'm carrying on. And I'm still going to call God gracious? Am I going to call him good? But they did. They did. They took it as hard as it was, as heartbreaking as it was, and they applied it to their life. So the pilgrims are examples. They cared about keeping the Great Commission, which, by the way, we do here in our church. Some people actually do missionary-type things. They might go on short-term missions. They may go into um, the Trenton, for example, and do some, some work there. That can be missionary work. Or, as a church, we support people who do go out, and that's important, too. They responded to conflict with reconciliation, and that is something that we need to do as well. I had cited Romans 12, 18, but there are other ones. I've been going to churches for a long, long time, evangelical ones. And I know that sometimes churches did not conflict well. They got into big arguments. Churches that I had gone to, I knew split. I knew one church that split, and then one of the parts that split, split again. But that's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to be reconciled to each other. And and I hope that, I I believe that as a church we've done that and that we'll continue to do it in the future. The pilgrims provided an, an example of that. And finally, they persevered through hardship and tragedy, knowing all things work to good. And again, that's something I look at it and say, I believe but help my, help my unbelief on the day that I need to apply that to my life. And you may feel the same way, and if you do, you're a human being, and it's okay. Because we're all imperfect, but God's given us scripture. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us each other. And he's given us examples over history that we can look back to seeing them apply God's truth to situations. And that's what the pilgrims have done. So I hope that helps you a little bit when you have family over for Thanksgiving and you have your Thanksgiving turkey. By the way, they, they really had venison, not turkey, but I, I, would, I understand if you want to have turkey, we're going to have turkey. Um, and uh, a little bit about the story and, and about how Christians who have gone before us Um, have been our examples. Let us pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you. Let's